there's some drama. He said, she said, you promised me this. No, you said that. I want it. Give it to me. Hi, and welcome to Meet Your Heroes. I'm Audrey. And I'm Elliot. And this is the show where we ignore the very good conventional wisdom to never meet your heroes and instead get up close and personal with the lesser known legacies and real life bad behavior of some of history's most notable and beloved people. And we are back from the summer series. We sure are. Better than ever. More recent than ever, for sure. We're here. We're here. Yeah, we're back. We're in a makeshift studio. It is more make and shift than I prefer most of my studios to be. Yes. Yeah. Very, very ad hoc. To our credit, though, this is much more make and shift than we had last week. Yeah. I mean, yes. Last week, it was a shambles. It was. We would have had a podcast shack last week. Yeah. Yeah. But we look this. We duct taped and... Wall tacked something <laughs> together, and there we are. Here we are. Right. If folks follow us on Instagram in particular, they would know why we have a makeshift studio. And that is because it has been just quite an eventful 10 days. We, we moved. We moved. In fact, we moved ourselves. Well, we, we, we moved. We got movers. We did. I wouldn't say we moved ourselves. We got movers. Yes. A month in advance. Yes. Like grown-ups. Mm-hmm. Big grown-up move. Too old for this shit. We will pay people to do this. And then no one showed up. No movers arrived. <laughs> nope. So, But uh, our lease was expiring. It was. And so we had to leave. <laughs> we sure did. My dad showed up. Eventually, yeah. That was really nice. I cried a lot when that happened. I mm-hmm. was yep. very grateful for his support. Thanks, mm-hmm. Dad. Um, so movers didn't show up. We ended up moving. Scram- scrambled for hours to get a truck. Yeah. Got a truck. Right. Thankfully, everything we owned was basically in the garage of the other house. I, I got the biggest truck we could get, and it took a 19-point turn to get it, but <laughs> we got it backed into the parking spot in front of the garage uh-huh. for breakdown number one. Of of my day? Yes. No, that was like breakdown number three. That was breakdown number one in front of you. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Few other breakdowns happened later. You know what? That was actually a highlight of the week. We made it through. We loaded everything up. Barely, just barely fit on the truck. It was dark by the time everything was unloaded. We did not have a big apartment. I did not know we had that much stuff. No. No. If you have anything more than a studio apartment... I regret to inform you, you have way more stuff than you think you do. Don't mm-hmm. try moving it. No, just leave it there. Yeah. <laughs> if you have to change apartments, just walk away. <laughs> exactly. So that was what happened last week, which meant we couldn't get unpacked because we lost a full day moving, a full day cleaning, which would have been happening simultaneously. And then we had to unpack ourselves, like move everything into the house, then move it to all the rooms, then unpack. So we didn't get a podcast studio set up last week, despite being ready to record. And then we go to pick up Clyde, who's been staying with other people, so he's not underfoot, right, because he's blind and deaf. We didn't want him to be around here when we were moving. Day one in the new house, he starts dying. Takes a turn for the worse. Like really dying. All the way this dog is dying. And we've had him 12 years. 12 years. 
He's eight, almost eighteen. Couldn't couldn't take the uh, couldn't take the stress. I guess. <laughs> I, I don't. Also, he was almost eighteen. Yes. And he lived hard all Nin- the way up to the end. Ninety-two in dog years. Yeah. And so we we get him back. Two days into the new house, he actually does die. So meet your hero super fans, our beloved mascot. R.I.P. Clyde. Pour one out for Clyde. He is snoring and running in the beyond. Very peaceful transition. No, not peaceful. I mean, for him, yes, not peaceful in the beyond. He's tearing up. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> as soon as he got there. Right. So um, that took up two days where we could have set up a podcast studio. Then our kid went back to school. And there's a lot of back to school shenanigans that happen. And so there goes all that time to set up a podcast studio. And then if you add in all the procrastination and a lack of motivation and our general um, bad attitudes, <laughs> yes, it, it adds up. You don't get a podcast studio set up until like right before or basically two hours after you want it to start recording the day before your podcast needs to be released. And so, yeah, it's, a, it's just a little makeshift, but we're here. We made it. It feels fitting for this episode that it would be kind of chaotic, a little bit hodgepodge, very messy. Speaking of this week's episode then. Oh, yeah. We're here to record a podcast that has a theme <laughs> that's not dogs dying. Who's, who's, who is our hero this week? This week's hero is Babe Ruth. Boom. Once we get unpacked all the way, we'll add in the real sound effects again. <laughs> Stop it. What do you know about Babe Ruth? What do I know about Babe Ruth? Okay. Uh, baseball player. Correct. Home run king. For a while. For a long time. Almost 40 years. Till till the 90s? Or no? A little bit earlier than that, I guess. A little earlier, but yeah. Yeah. That was when the it came back in full force. For a long time, Babe Ruth, king of home runs. Mm-hmm. Very famous. Made most of his money in the candy bar empire, I guess? Incorrect. <laughs> okay. Has a candy bar named after him, at least. No. False. I'm pretty sure you're incorrect about this. Because okay. when he was a baby, mm-hmm. they named a candy bar after him, <laughs> hence the name Baby Ruth. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Um, that didn't happen, but he did have major beef with the Baby Ruth candy bar. Oh, I can't wait. Okay. Yeah. So I've, I've not just... He's got beef bar with... <laughs> I've clearly come to and beyond the limit of what I know about Babe Ruth at this point. Okay, cool. So that's what most people know. Babe Ruth, baseball, they know what he looks like, general, like, vibe. I feel like everybody could probably describe his vibe. Got a swagger. He's got a swagger. We're not going to talk much about his baseball because everybody knows that. And that's not what this podcast is about. We're here for the lesser-known legacies and real-life bad behavior. And he's got some bad behavior. Then let's dive in. Cool. That's <laughs> never part of it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a little, it's a little interstitial, right after that. Before we go into the big thing, the let's dive in moment it happens again. No, it doesn't. Not when I edit. Yeah, I know you always leave it out, but oh, okay. it's always there when I edit. No, it does not. Now, Do you not listen to our podcast? <laughs> I mean, you edit. You haven't edited in like a year. No, that's not true. Go back, listen. Sources for this 
episode come from grunge.com history.com wait did you just say grunge.com grunge oh grunge grunge yeah i was like what is grunge.com <laughs> no uh well it's a url we're about to buy i don't know what's going on it but find gross brunch near you <laughs> <laughs> it's a new app, <laughs> but there's no U in it. It's just G-R-N-C-H. People don't know if it's Grinch or Grunch, yep. but they're going to learn. They're going to learn. Grunch.com, History.com, Britannica.com, Wikipedia, obviously, Biography.com, MTV.com, and Retrosimba.com. Retrosimba? Yes. So all of these seem credible except that last <laughs> one, but the last one had some pretty good information that cited some sources so okay retro simba hit me up if i get any of this wrong born george herman quote-unquote babe ruth babe comes way later he's mostly george when he's growing up he's a junior his father is george herman ruth senior and it wouldn't it wouldn't be a babe ruth episode if he didn't fuck shit up right from the start because this is where I would typically say what his birthday is mm-hmm. and do Audrey's Astrology Corner because it's time for Audrey's Astrology Corner. But here's the complicating factor. Babe Ruth, for the first like 20 some odd years of his life, thought he was born on February 7th, 1894. Mm-hmm. He was, in fact, born February 6th, 1895. That's a very different year. Yes, a whole year and a whole day. And he learns this when he goes to apply for a passport, says, fuck it, and still continues to celebrate his birthday on February 7th and tells people he's a year older than he is. But because this is a science, we're going to go with his actual birth date because oh, we need to know oh, because about astrology the actual is stars. <laughs> got it, got it, got it. Okay. So here it is, written in the stars... Babe Ruth's Audrey's Astrology Corner. Being an Aquarius born on February 6th, these people are defined by their honest, open, and imaginative nature. While many people claim to adopt the mantra, what you see is what you get, these people genuinely live up to it. In all of their dealings, social and professional, they believe in interacting with honesty and straightforwardness. Aquarians born on February 6th possess a strong sense of personal integrity and the ability to act as a mediator between disparate factions. These likable individuals have so much charm that even rivals compliment them. People born on this date have the potential to become legendary. They embrace humanity and use their talents and personal goodness for the benefit of others. Now, if that, Audrey's Astrology Corner, sounds familiar, it's because... (laughs) (laughs) One of our other heroes was actually born on February 6th. Who was it? Do, any guesses um, of the 70-odd other people we've done? I was Edison? reading that... Not quite. No, I don't know. Worse. Worse? Yeah. Who? Reagan. Ah. So, obviously different years, but Babe Ruth, Ronald Reagan, both born on February 6th. I thought you told me that the year mattered. Like, if you put in different years, you would get different ones. No. Maybe for your birth chart, this is not... As scientific as a birth chart. <laughs> this is a birth date personality. We're only, we're only medium scientific <laughs> yeah, at this level. Right. Got it. Yeah. Got this it. is the real pseudo. This puts a <laughs> pseudo in pseudoscience. <laughs> okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. So, born under the stars on February 6th, at home in Baltimore, Maryland. He is the first of eight children, but only he and his younger sister survive infancy. Oh, shit. That's... 
That's a lot of kids that died. It's a lot of watching his siblings die as babies, yes. So his parents, Catherine and George, they're both from Maryland. It's a working class family all through his early childhood. His father had odd jobs like selling lightning rods. He operated a streetcar. Okay. And then eventually started running a saloon. There's not a lot about his childhood anywhere except his own autobiography, interestingly enough. But uh, Britannica.com had this to say about him. Quote, Since neither his busy father nor his sickly mother had much time for the youngster, George roamed the streets. Engaged in petty thievery, he chewed tobacco, sometimes got drunk, and repeatedly skipped school, and he had several run-ins with the law. In 1902, this makes him seven, his parents sent him to the St. Mary's Industrial School for Boys, which was an asylum for incorrigibles and orphans run by the Xavierian Brothers Order of the Roman Catholic Church. So at seven, he's so incorrigible, his parents send him to live with orphans. That, I'm just surprised that if you, if you have all your other kids die at this point. I think they were probably dealing with a lot of that at the time. And sure. they couldn't get their alcoholic seven-year-old son to stop <laughs> running the streets. So they sent him to this school. That's a rough life. Yeah, really rough. But the school was pretty strict with his expectations. They had this idea that all the children there would, you know, learn skills, help with the overall operations of the establishment. They were repairing stuff. They were doing carpentry and even sewing, which Babe was, like, notably good at. And so, like, a fun fact, Babe Ruth preferred to be his own tailor even when he got more famous. Interesting. In addition to, like, the structure and discipline that he lacked previously, I mean, like, while his dad was busy and his mom was giving birth to dying babies and dying herself of tuberculosis. uh, Oh, she dies? Yeah. Okay. When he's, like, 17 or so. It's at the school that uh, Babe finds baseball. In his autobiography, he said that (laughs) learning how to be good at baseball, baseball allowed him to, quote, escape obscurity and poverty. Yeah, I mean, that sounds true. Yeah, it did both of those things for him. By the time he's 15, he's like very good at baseball, primarily actually as a pitcher, as a left-handed pitcher. There were not very many of them. Okay. And he was very good and unique at that. He did get better as a hitter, obviously. It's his pitching that catches the attention of this guy named Jack Dunn, who owns this minor league team that grooms players for the the. Baltimore something something at the time. <laughs> and, um, the famous something something. <laughs> and he keeps an eye on Babe. By the time Babe is 19, he's like, hey, you're very good. I'll give you 600 bucks to come play for my team. And Babe's like, that's my ticket out of poverty in 1914 or whatever. His fame and notoriety pretty much skyrocket from there. He's 19. He's got this baseball contract with the it's eventually, very quickly, with the Boston Red Sox. So he had that, like, feeder minor league team mm-hmm. into that. He's mostly pitching. And that same year, he meets and marries a woman. Um, actually, let me clarify. He meets and marries a 16-year-old girl named oh. Helen Woodford. Yikes. He's about 20. The too-long-didn't-read version is she worked at a diner counter where he was, like, getting sandwiches during practice woos her they get married pretty quickly he spends five years in boston before being sold to the yankees in 1920 for 125 thousand dollars plus a ten thousand dollar a year contract which is just like bank for the time especially for 
pro athletes. So, so he is he's traded to the Yankees. I think is would be the term, right? Traded. I, I, maybe that's what you would say now. He's building. He's at this point starting to build a reputation as a home run king. He's gone from pitching to hitting. He is also starting to fully destroy his personal life in his early twenties. Helen, his first wife, is described as being, quote unquote, tolerant (laughs) at this time, which seems like a really gross understatement. In my opinion, and I'm just going to editorialize here for a second. All right. All right. What actually seemed to be happening in the early years of that first marriage was that Babe married a young teenage girl right as his fame and power was taking off, tons of financial success. And this created this enormous power imbalance, which, you know, he essentially got to do whatever he wanted, and she had to, quote unquote, tolerate it or leave. And so she had to tolerate it. Everybody knows that behind the scenes, he's sort of crashing and burning. Chronic philanderer, unapologetic philanderer. Uh, In fact, during these years, his womanizing almost gets him killed multiple times, literally almost killed. almost gets him killed? Yes. In 1921... He is romanticizing the wife of a Louisiana politician. He's telling her, you're the only one, even though he's very clearly married and everyone knows he's married. But when she finds out that he is also sleeping with tons of other people, she grabs a butcher knife and chases him onto a train. Like, get on, like, I don't know what that looked like. Like, get out of here, get on this train? Yes. In a separate incident. A husband shows up at a hotel room with a gun, threatens him. He runs out like the classic, like pulling up his pants, running out of the hotel room yes. shtick. When he's traded to the Yankees, he moves to New York City. All of these like sexcapades get amplified to the nth degree, which is why it is such a surprise when one random day in 1922, Babe and his wife, Helen, walked into practice with a 15-month-old daughter that they claimed to be their own. Wait, just one day? There's a 15-month-old? Yes. yes. Not a single one of the Yankees, not the managers, not the players, not any of his friends behind the scenes had ever heard Babe talk about being a father. Wait, so for over a year, this kid is like just in secret? Yeah. Uh, so here's what happened. No one heard him talk about being a father, not even like, oh, I'm a new father. No one had seen Helen pregnant in that 15 months or before, but no one really ever questioned it. Everyone kind of just rolled with the idea that Babe was sort of enigmatic and Helen maybe just hadn't come around when she was pregnant and nobody's keeping track of her on the timeline. And everybody buys this story, including the little girl who's named Dorothy. Until Dorothy is 59 years old, when she finds out that, yes, Babe is her biological father, Helen is not her mother. Dorothy is the daughter of Babe and one of his mistresses, Juanita Jennings, with whom he had had an affair in 1920. Her name was Juanita, right? She came around throughout this young girl's childhood as like, quote unquote, a family friend that Dorothy thought was just called Aunt Nita. And they just... They rolled with it. They roll with it. Took her in, raised her as their own. Yeah. And so Dorothy grew up believing Helen was her biological mother. Oddly... For what it's worth, despite the fact that Babe slept with ostensibly thousands of women, Dorothy seems to be the only child that he ever knowingly fathered. That is that is shocking. So by 1922, we've got 24-year-old Helen pretending to be the mother of a 50-month-old girl. Okay. We've got Babe, super famous, rarely home. 
We've got Babe on the road around this time, apparently sleeping all around. Notoriously, around this time, he slept with every sex worker in a brothel in St. Louis. At the same time? Um, by the time he left St. Louis. And to be fair, it says every sex worker. That could be like two or that could be like 15. I don't okay. know the size of this brothel. It's sure. just like in infamy. Worked his way through yes. the, the roster. Preferred the intimate relations of sex workers because he really just wanted to have sex and he didn't really care about relationships at all. Got it. It's like, okay, whatever, babe. The problem there is that it seems like this was pretty not cool with his wife. I mean, she's been pretty cool so far. Like, Yes, so far. This is around the time she has her breaking point. She's like, maybe if you slept with only half the women in that brothel, <laughs> this wouldn't be an issue. But <laughs> Too far, too far. The real issue comes in 1923 when Babe not only has sex with another woman, but falls in love with another one. All the sleeping around Helen can deal with, the falling in love with someone else, no dice. He falls in love with this aspiring model and actress named Claire Hodgson. And at this point, Helen takes Dorothy. She goes and moves into one of their other homes. They're there a couple years. By 1925, Babe and Helen officially separate. They've been married a decade, but shit's not going well. Hasn't ever gone well, to be yes. honest. Yeah, they were ma- they were making do, but it was <laughs> yeah. not going well. No, it's not going well. His marriage is falling apart. His career also stumbles in at this time in 1925. It's this time in his career that is called the bellyache heard around the world, where he misses almost the entire 1925 season. At the time... Wait, why? Well, so <laughs> they said intestinal issues... Do you want to guess what it really was? Um, food poisoning? Syphilis. Okay, got it. Got it. Syphilis. Yeah. And I, I re- again, we've talked about STIs before, and we don't want to attach any stigma to this. There's no shame in getting STIs. The, the issue was that if he had contracted syphilis, which was very likely, and it progressed to the point where he was very ill, while also still having unprotected sex with dozens and dozens of people, it is highly likely that during this time period, Babe Ruth infected dozens and dozens of women with syphilis. On and, the, yeah, low end estimate, dozens. And that sucks. That is unacceptable. Syphilis, not the bad part. Knowingly giving syphilis to other people, the very bad part. Because of this, and because of the like multiple years of unpredictability regarding his professionalism... <laughs> And missing season, quality of performance, variations happening after his 1922 contract expires in 1925 or 26, whatever length of year it had. The next one one he signed actually had to have a morality clause in it. Morality clause. How do they enforce a morality clause? Well, they insisted he not drink alcohol and that he had to be in bed by 1 a.m. during the season. They hired a private investigator to follow him and make sure that this clause was honored. It was not, and they did nothing. (laughs) Okay, got it, got it, got it. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, by 1926, Helen has moved out of their New York house and into the home of a childhood friend in Boston. His name is uh, Edward Kinder. Helen and Babe are still legally married, but she's living with this guy, Edward Kinder. I assume he's her lover as well, not just childhood friend. Okay. One night in January of 1929, 
Dorothy's at boarding school. Edward's at a boxing match. Helen takes some sleeping pills, which I would guess was also followed by some alcohol. And so it's very tragic when at 10 p.m. that night, the neighbors notice that the house is on fire. Yikes. She is too knocked out on some combination of 1920s barbiturates. Quaaludes, I don't fucking know what sleeping pills were in the 1920s. Heroin? I don't know. I don't know. Yes, it's got to be so strong, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like the beta version of sleeping pills. Considering every single else, every single thing else was treated with cocaine. Yeah. It feels like Heroin's your other option, really. Yeah, I don't know. She's knocked out. She dies. Yikes. Someone runs to get Edward at the boxing match, and he's like, oh, yes, that the person who died is my wife, Helen Kinder. They make funeral arrangements. They think he's next of kin. He's in charge of it. But her picture gets printed in the paper. This woman died in a house fire. It's very tragic. They're in the Boston area where she's from, and her friends and babe's friends and lots of people see her picture, and they're like, um, no, her name's not Helen Kinder. That is Babe Ruth's wife. And so they call the police. The police come in, actively stop the burial. What? And they're like, hey, this is Babe Ruth's wife, not your wife, Edward Kinder. Like, what the fuck, dude? And he was like, I don't remember saying she was my wife. And they're like, you literally said it right here. We wrote it down. You said, that's my wife. It's not your wife. Mm. So they have to stop everything. Go get Babe. He's the next of kin. So he has to decide what to do with her. He says to the papers who contact him, they're like, oh, how do you have a statement about that? And he says, well, obviously, my wife and I have not lived together for the last three years. During that time, I have seldom met her. I have done all that I can to comply with her wishes. Her death is a great shock to me. Then he puts on this huge show of a funeral, invites the press. He's seen, like, crying. It could be sincere or whatever. But he has this, there's, like, pictures of him, like, holding her family crying he's crying he hasn't like seen this woman in years he makes he, a thing of it he makes a, shit about he her makes a when, much bigger yes. deal of it than he ever did the time they were together right so she's dead and buried three months later he marries claire this yeah, woman that he's been okay. in love with for years throughout the rest of the 20s and 30s he has some up and down seasons and he decides that even though he holds a record for most home runs he's the most famous baseball player in the world he really wants to up his game a lot and so what he does is the cool thing for people playing sports to do in the 20s and 30s. Do you know what that is? Barbiturates? Steroids. Okay, close, close. <laughs> yeah. That's close. So he's like, oh, steroids are all the rage. One, it's going to make me very good at sports. Two, it's going to make me very good in bed. Spoiler, it does the very opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> it does make him good at sports. It doesn't because what? his steroid of choice comes from sheep testicles. Oh. So what it does instead is make him violently ill. Oh, Just yikes. terribly, terribly ill. He misses a whole nother set of games that the franchise has to blame on those quote unquote intestinal issues. So far, his intestinal issues have been uh, syphilis and sheep testicle juice? Yes. Okay, got it. <laughs> so it does not go well. Mid-1930s, at this point, he's 35, 40. He gets to the end of his baseball career. If you follow baseball and you care about this, there's some drama. He said, she said, you promised me this. No, you said that. I want it. Give it to me. About what? Contracts, money, power. Oh, got it, got it, got it. Back and forth between teams. He thinks other people will sign him. They never do. Somebody promises part of a franchise. That never comes to fruition. Eventually, he does get inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, inaugural class. There's five of them. 
All four of the other ones get a manager's contract for teams. He does not. This really pisses him off, but... You can't be surprised. I mean, like, if you're missing games because you're poor testicle juice choices like yeah. you're not you're not exactly going to be put in charge of other people's development as as a team exactly that is literally what the owners of these baseball teams were saying they were like he cannot even manage himself how could he manage other players so to his credit there is some debate among sports historians about this missed opportunity of never giving babe the chance to manage but it's not really for the reasons you think so no one... I thought it was because everybody thought it would be fucking hilarious. He just took a whole team to a brothel the night before the game. Be like, go for it, fellas. It's Works like for me. Original Ted Lasso, where you're trying to sabotage your team. You bring Babe Ruth on. Yeah, exactly. It just destroys it. No, the thing is no one had faith that he would be a good manager of a baseball team. But a lot of people think that this was a missed opportunity to integrate baseball sooner. So Babe was one of the only players seen making a public effort to befriend black players and various well-known black people of influence outside of sports. Um, And so obviously this isn't proof that he would have had any sort of power or ability or even like the political will to integrate baseball. But he was one of the few players uh, to make a point publicly to compliment other black players and... uh, Unfortunately, it ended up taking another 20 years before baseball was integrated. Might have been a force for improved race relations and like interracial sports in general, if not, even if he didn't get there specifically, maybe. Yeah, but the world will never know. The world will never know. Throughout the early 30s and 40s, he lives in limbo professionally. He does some radio show appearances, commentary. During World War II, he, you know, makes appearances in the war effort. USSO, I'm Babe Ruth sort of guy. He still wants to find a job, but he doesn't need the money. He's just, like, bored and doesn't like obscurity. Sure. He is not a well-behaved man at all. Never has been. No. In fact, not since he was seven. (laughs) Yeah. Or even before that. He didn't just turn incorrigible then. Uh, But unlike a lot of athletes at his time and currently, he he was very well compensated. And because his wife managed a lot of their personal affairs... He did not squander his money. So he is like brotheling it up, alcohol out the gills, nonstop party machine, his wife's bookkeeping. He ends up like having a million dollars at his death. She's she's keeping his brothel budget together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A million dollars uh, at the time. Oh, so wow. it'd be okay, like $10 yeah. million dollars now-ish. He gets one last shot at celebrity in 1945 when he's 50. He gets hired as a referee of wrestling matches. That's not the turn I was expecting. No, he's actually very good at this. (laughs) Okay. So according to that same grunge.com article, this is what they had to say. Quote, he was a megastar and the masses flocked to see him in the ring. Ruth didn't disappoint. He actively involved himself in the action, separating wrestlers and laying down the law. During his second appearance, he narrowly avoided a kick to the jaw and put a performer in a headlock. Just as he had in baseball, Ruth shined brightly in the ring. I really Is there a video of this? I really There's, want to watch video of this. There are pictures. Yeah. He loves mayhem. It's just mayhem. Yes, it's just mayhem. He just loves mayhem. He cannot get enough. He's a 50-year-old retired baseball player with essentially $10 million in the bank, all the sex he could ever want, all the booze he could ever want. And the thing he does is go to like... 
amateur wrestling matches to be a referee yeah. just so people come cheer him on. What's the Venn diagram center <laughs> of celebrity and mayhem? Yes. It, it's refereeing a wrestling match. Exactly. Same time as this opportunity is starting to take off, Babe starts to experience some debilitating pain in his throat and his head. By the time it gets really bad, he could not talk or swallow. Initially, doctors were like, yeah, you have rotted teeth. It could have been all the syphilis and alcohol. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good guess. <laughs> so they removed a bunch of his teeth. Nothing worked. And soon he starts going blind in his left eye. Yikes. Come to find out, he has nasopharyngeal cancer. So that's like the Pharyngeal area. <laughs> pharyngeal era, area. Yes. A tumor had grown at the base of his skull and his lymph nodes had started to balloon. Yikes. He loses 80 pounds. He didn't know what he had. Doctors didn't know. They thought it was like throat cancer. He knew it was serious. So he agreed to be one of the first people in the country to try this new treatment. Opiates. Heroin. <laughs> Those are tried and tested. tested Have we tried it for cancer, yeah. though? Have we tried it for cancer? Very close. Chemotherapy. Oh, wow. Okay. So actually legit treatment. Legit treatment. One of the first people in the country. He realized the end was probably near for him, but it seemed like because he had access to these doctors who were saying, this is this new treatment, we can learn a lot from you, you have money and power, we'll get you the very best, he was like, let's go for it. So he's one of the first to get chemotherapy specifically for this cancer, but one of the first ever to have chemotherapy and radiation at the same time, just generally. Well. He gets better very briefly, but picture this. 1940s chemotherapy does not work very well. Yeah, I can imagine that. 1948, he dies. Peacefully in his sleep. He's 53. Pretty young. Pretty young. They place his open casket in the rotunda of Yankee Stadium. In over two days, 77,000 people came to visit it. That's a lot of people. It's very Mother Teresa-esque. That's the first and only time somebody has said something about Babe Ruth and been like, <laughs> that's very Mother Teresa-esque. <laughs> he was also Catholic. Okay, okay. <laughs> he party hard and went to mass. He, yeah. did, he did the thing. <laughs> yeah, the brothel habits, less, less, less. He less, went less to similar. confession, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it was more like bragging hour with father so-and-so. Exactly. <laughs> So uh, 77,000 people walk past him. They're like, wow, look at skinny Babe Ruth. He looks terrible. Mm -hmm. They go to have his funeral. 75,000 people line the streets outside the church for this mass. It's a lot of people. And that's the end of his life. I'm going to be honest. It was a short life. 53 years. Jam-packed. What I just... Live fast, die young. Yeah. Oh, yes. Lived very fast died the same way. It's very Clyde adjacent yeah, well, as well. Clyde lived fast and died after a long time. <laughs> very just old. Lived, he lived big to the end. They big both lived big to the to end. To the end. Gotta be honest though. I talked a lot in however many minutes this is going to end up being. 30 minutes, 40 minutes. This was still like the too long didn't read version of the Cliff Notes version of his life. He was a very chaotic person with lots of drama and mayhem. I chose to focus on uh, the easy parts. 
But if you're interested in real life drama, things like um, the legal battle he got in with the Baby Ruth candy bar. Oh, yeah. The decade long spat he had with Luke Gehrig that multiple times he punched an umpire. Oh, what? The first time was accidental. And then he kind of got a taste for it. (laughs) (laughs) The time he uh, ran into a wall, knocked himself out, like broke his pelvis and insisted on continuing to play. There's lots of moments in his life like that. Lots of that information is online. So folks can go find that if they want. But for his lifelong incorrigibility, for his marrying a young teenager, then immediately beginning what seemed to be a non-consensual series of affairs. Yes. For undoubtedly spreading syphilis to unwitting sex workers and girlfriends and wives. For lying to his daughter for 50 years Mm -hmm. about her birth mother abandoning his first wife in favor of brothels and booze, and then again repeatedly cheating on his second wife. Uh, Whatever coincidental animal abuse accompanied his use of sheep testicles for steroids. (laughs) Babe Ruth is not my hero. (laughs) (laughs) That's how it goes? That's close enough. (laughs) I really want to know what the candy bar feud is about. So the candy bar feud is is very simple. It's that Baby Ruth already existed. He got the nickname Babe Ruth. He, uh, at the time... It was not his Christian name. No, he got the name Babe Ruth because Jack Dunn, his original manager, sort of took him under his wing. And some reporter was like, oh, that's Jack Dunn's babe, George Ruth. And so then he got the nickname Babe Ruth. So you know how celebrities now, they get like a makeup line or a clothing line or mm-hmm. whatever franchise line? Candy bars were a big thing at the time. Okay. So yeah. it's like um, post-World War One, pre-World War Two, right after the Depression, you're starting to get some like candy bar. Sugar. Sugar is, like... is back. You can use it again or whatever. Mm-hmm. He wants to create this candy bar line called like Great... Babe Ruth's candy bar. And Baby Ruth was like, no, we already have that. It's Baby Ruth candy bar, and it's great, so you can't do it. It's big legal, legal battle. Babe Ruth ends up being like, it's not even worth it. Fuck my candy bar. I'm just going to... Get syphilis. Get syphilis again. <laughs> um, it's generic, but it exists. Okay. And, yeah, I would be upset, too. Don't try and steal a proprietary candy bar's name. If you're very famous is, I guess, the moral of the story. Anyway, if people would like to follow us as we uh, inevitably start the Meet Your Rolos candy uh, line (laughs) and the ensuing legal battles, um, where can they find us? They can find us on social media at Your Heroes Pod or on our website at MeetYourHeroesPodcast.com. Yep. And please like, share, rate, review. Spread the word, tell your friends, and until next week, don't be a hero. Don't be a hero. Bye.